Welcome to Hispanic Marketing and Public Relations, HispanicMPR.com. This is Elena DelVal, and my guest is Ron Volber, Ph.D., who is author of Up Your Sales in a Down Market. Today we will discuss compensation tactics to help retain employees. Ron is a leading authority on business development and the author of Up Your Sales in a Down Market, 20 Strategies from Top-Performing Salespeople to Win Over Cautious Customers. Ron, welcome. Thank you, Elena. Happy to be here. These days, it would seem that retaining employees would be simple because, of course, of the Great Recession and the very competitive job market. But keeping those top employees, I think, is always a challenge. What what are your thoughts? Well, I I think what you're saying is absolutely true, notwithstanding the fact that we're in a tough economy. uh, It's still very important for companies of all types and sizes, regardless of their industry, to A, do everything they can to attract top talent, B, to retain them, and C, to motivate them because it's possible for someone to physically remain at their organization but not uh, be as motivated or as productive as they might be. So the compensation program, your overall recognition rewards program, both how you pay them and how you recognize and reward them, is the ultimate communications tool you have as a company, you have as a business owner, you have as a senior executive. So it's very important to use it in a strategic way, in an appropriate way, so you reach all three goals. Again, attract, retain, and motivate. I'm going to start with the last one. These days, because of all of the changes with the Great Recession and, of course, the downsizing with so many companies all over the country that have had to shrink their workforces, so many people being affected, there are, of course, many people who remain with their companies, but they're having to double or maybe triple the amount of work that they do, the responsibility that they have on their shoulders is much higher, and yet at the same time, they may be very unhappy with their employer and the circumstances that they find themselves in. They may feel trapped. How do you go about dealing with that? Well, firstly, I would say that your description of the problem is exactly right. A large number of employees at all levels do, in fact, feel underappreciated, in many cases, unappreciated. So uh, the way you recognize and reward them falls into several categories. One is people work, of course, for pay in the pocket. And you, you as a company, whether small, medium, or large, whether public or private, should do everything your budget allows to stay competitive with others within your industry, your competitors, so to speak. Uh, that's important. The second thing you should do as part of that is to provide employees with pats on the back as well as pay in the pocket. And there are a lot of ways you can do that. One way to provide them is on, uh, with pats on the back is informally just tell them on the spot when they've done a good job, when they've exceeded your expectations, 
And when they've consistently met your expectations, you should let them know. Letting them know publicly is often better than privately. Letting them know in writing is often better than simply doing it verbally. Letting them know with an action, such as taking them out to dinner or giving them a, a, a very a prize or reward, movie tickets, theater tickets, tickets to a sporting event, etc., uh, sends a powerful message. So those are just a few of the ways that you can let people know that you appreciate their work and especially their results. You can also do it more formally by having contests for employees, depending upon what their job is and what level of employment. And the people who, again, qualify for the contest can be recognized with a trip they can be recognized with merchandise. They can rec be recognized by um, providing them with a service, such as uh, uh, if they've been an outstanding employee, you can have a, a, a limousine pick them up at their home and bring them to the office. Or you can have them, if they're a salesperson, as an example, a limousine drive them around on calls. Or if they're the best employee of the month, you can do things like that. You can have them... Uh, pick merchandise themselves, or you can give them merchandise. There are a lot of options, and some of them can admittedly be expensive, but most are not and need not. Even a trip, it need not be a trip around the globe. It can be to a location that's relatively nearby and still uh, a place where people would enjoy going to. Uh, the thing that's important in recognizing them is you're very clear on what your expectations are, what the goals are, and what the rules are to win the various rewards if you're having a formal contest. Clearly, for the verbal praise, you don't need any rules. You just, uh, you just praise the person for doing an excellent job based on your expectations and the goals you've set up. In the second category, on pay in the pocket, the important thing is to make it very explicit what you're paying for. And increasingly, companies are rewarding more employees for performance rather than just showing up for work. To the extent you can do that, you'd be well advised to consider it. For example, in some positions, such as a sales position, it's easier to uh, measure what the employee has produced and reward them based on incentives. In other positions, it's a little more ambiguous. However, in all positions with the appropriate time and thought, you can figure out measurable goals. For example, if someone's job is uh, collecting accounts outstanding, you can set goals for that and reward them with a cash incentive based on how well and how much uh, uh, of the outstanding she or he has collected. In the area of customer service, you can base your reward on the ratio of compliments versus complaints from customers. In the area of call centers, you can do it based on how efficiently they handle calls. You can do it based on um, what their so-called average handle time is, how long it takes them to handle a call, and even more importantly, whether or not they're able to resolve that customer issue in one call 
as opposed to the customer continually calling back with the same problem. So in all positions, with few exceptions, it's possible to set measurable goals. And in our experience, it's desirable to do so. Because again, a way to motivate employees is to pay them for results. And uh, the other way is to reward them with praise. Is there a good first step formula, let me describe it that way, when you have a workforce that you know is dispirited, that feels, as you said earlier, underappreciated or unappreciated and overworked, is there a first thing that you should do that isn't going to backfire? If you get someone that's very unhappy and you do the wrong thing, they might actually react to it contrary to what you were hoping. Well, you're absolutely right. I mean, uh, these are these are tools, and you can use them inappropriately and do damage. Uh, if used properly, you'll see um, great rewards and great improvement. In the great majority of instances, uh, employees appreciate it, uh, and in the great majority of instances, they work. I mean, one starting step, and again, it depends whether uh, the organization overall is dispirited or whether just certain individual employees. But one way to do this, a starting point for some organizations, is to do an employee attitude survey and find out what um, employees are really thinking, and then uh, have a discussion with them as to any common perceptions and be willing to make appropriate changes consistent with your budget and consistent with the culture of your company. But to your point, and I think it's a very good one, you should only do an employee attitude survey if you're willing to make some changes. Otherwise, you're just going to frustrate them. In terms of the pat and pay concepts that you were discussing a moment ago, how do you know which one to start with, or do you start with both at the same time? Are there certain groups that are more responsive to one versus the other? Tell us a little bit more. Sure. Uh, People work, again, for recognition. They work for uh, self-achievement, what Maslow calls self-actualization, as you know, um, their own feeling that they've done a good job. And they were, thirdly, not in this order, um, for cash compensation, for pay in the pocket. Uh, what's important is to have an overall recognition and reward system which allows people to have some of all of the above. So it's really your compensation plan is really part of your overall recognition and rewards system. And uh, it's uh, some individuals are more prone, such as salespeople, to appreciate incentive rewards, but all people appreciate um, clear goals and expectations and receiving incremental rewards based on results. Uh, some people, again, such as salespeople in an organization, might like a contest, for example, that requires competition, whereas people who were 
in finance and accounting and manufacturing and human resources, as examples, might be less interested in competition, but more interested in achieving the goal um, as a team. So uh, there, you've got a lot of options in terms of how you set up the contest. What's important is you think in several dimensions. Again, the compensation, the financial payment, the praise piece, and the ability for people to feel achievement on the job. And on that score, there's a lot you can do which costs the organization nothing, which heightens motivation. For example, job enrichment. Unfortunately, most companies don't do enough in that area. And it's not something that's going to cost them anything. Job enrichment uh, consists of uh, giving people, for example, lateral promotions so that rather than working in accounting, they might work for a while in a totally different area. Rather than working in human resources, they might work in customer service or even within the same company. People appreciate being cross-trained. They appreciate having experiences in other jobs within their department. And they even appreciate having jobs in different departments. And the best managed companies and the ones with the highest employee satisfaction ratio tend to be the ones where employees are given the opportunity, if they want, to work in other positions and often it's a promotion, and that's great, but often it's a lateral transfer, so they learn new skills and new abilities, and A, it gives them additional satisfaction, and B, it enhances their value at their company and in their industry. A second way that companies recognize employees that uh, doesn't cost anything, Elena, is to encourage employees to take seminars and training um, both outside the company and internally. Companies can bring in speakers. They can bring in experts in various fields. They can have brown bag lunches. Uh, they can encourage uh, their employees at all levels to learn more skills and enhance their knowledge. And again, that gets back to self-actualization, feeling good about themselves, their company, and feeling they're, they're more valued at the organization. So those are hugely helpful. The specifics will vary. Some companies, for example, will reimburse or contribute to an employee going for a college degree. Others will do it, will partially pay for graduate school. Others will pay for um, various business courses. Some will require you uh, that the employee achieve a certain grade level. Most do not as long as they've uh, satisfactorily completed it. But this is an area that has been mostly overlooked and can be hugely helpful because employees are realistic. They understand that a lot of companies, like a lot of customers, don't have the same fat budgets they did previously, but you can recognize them in this way um, without being over budget or in any way creating a financial burden for the company. Uh, Another example would be some companies have set up brown bag lunches where they have uh, discussion groups on uh, various business books, 
And it's just an informal, pleasant way for employees to exchange ideas about books they've read. It, it can be run like a regular book club, just the difference is this is a business book club. And employees can also be recognized by uh, being the leader of that for a given period of time. And then the last way employees recognize and motivate employees is what I call symbolic, symbolic awards. And that would be plaques, trophies, um, pins, certificates, etc. I can remember, for example, I was once uh, employee of the year at a Fortune 500 company. And as a result, I was given a statue. And this statue looks like, uh, if any of uh, your colleagues are familiar with it, um, the famous statue of the thinker by Rodin, a man with his head on uh, on his fist, sort of engaged in great thought. But the difference is this sculpture, the one I got, looked like the sculptor had done it blindfolded. Despite how ugly it was, I have, I've held on to that sculpture and have it in my office to this day since 1977 because it means a lot to me even though it's the ugliest sculpture uh, anyone could possibly imagine, it has symbolic value because I feel good about the achievement, even in retrospect. So most companies, again, and I say this respectfully, make a mistake by not doing enough with plaques and trophies and certificates and pins and other symbols of achievement, symbols of success. Add that to job enrichment, add that to pats on the back, add that to more formal recognition contests, which might culminate in a trip or merchandise or so on, and add that to incentive compensation, and you've significantly increased the likelihood that you'll have more motivated employees. One of the thoughts that comes to mind is an article that I read a while back. It really struck me the concept that the average person who receives a raise, the high, let's call it, from the raise dissipates over a shorter time period than the high that they would receive from a recognition in a company newsletter or from a change in title, etc. What are your thoughts on that? My thought is absolutely true. It's very important. Um, assuming that they've, you know, reached the um, uh, a level of compensation that uh, that they can. Uh, 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 maintain their lifestyle and assuming they've reached a level of compensation where there's not a hardship. Uh, beyond that, it's absolutely true that uh, rewards such as having their name mentioned in the company newspaper or a change in title can be hugely powerful. Again, it gets back to feeling good about oneself. It gets back to uh, you know what are called the hierarchy of needs, some research done by a man named Abraham Maslow, and he talks about self-actualization. You know, this goes back quite some time, and it's still true. So I've told many of our clients that you should have different levels of success. If you're a customer service, if you have customer service reps, you should have senior customer service reps. You should have uh, what I call lead customer service rep. 
If you have a salesperson, you should have a sales executive and then sales manager. Uh, for virtually any position, uh, people appreciate the recognition, the change in title. It makes them feel good. I say this in a good sense. It gives them bragging rights, and people you know, have earned the right to brag, and, and uh, uh, people appreciate that. Titles are important. You know, We go out of a way to um, uh, know whether to call someone doctor or mister or ms or uh, the honorary or, or esquire or CPA or MD or any other honorific title of which there are so many, and that's because people – um, feel good about it. And so you're right, it lasts longer. Uh, you know, cash gets spent. Uh, no one's against more cash. But that uh, disappears pretty quickly, especially these days. Um, titles and rewards last longer. Uh, I can, for example, remember from 30 years ago, being given a sound system, a Sony sound system, um, which is now you know vintage, but back then it was state of the art. It had a, uh, believe it or not, it had a, a record player. It had uh, 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 CDs and so on. There were no, I'm sorry, it didn't have CDs. It had um, uh, audio cassettes. That's what I was trying to say. Audio cassettes and so on. It's now a collector's item. It's vintage. It's no longer. You can no longer uh, essentially. Um, get uh, uh, records for it because uh, most artists don't make records, as you know. But I still appreciated that for many, many years because it was a symbol of success. I can remember being rewarded with what was called back then a car phone. And the car phone was uh, contained in a very large, you know, it looked like a, a suitcase because it was such a, a clunky monster. But at the time, it was state-of-the-art, and people were very impressed by it. And I was, you know, secretly very proud for having won it from having won a sales contest. So you're absolutely right. That stuff lasts longer. I've got uh, on my wall in my office here um, some articles about various things I've done. Uh, some of them might not be very important to others, but I appreciated getting a certificate for being a soccer coach, and uh, you know, that was strictly volunteer uh, and so on. So your point is a very, very powerful one. I think the key thing to remember is that it's a combination of things you do. Again, the the way you pay them, not just the amount, but more importantly, the way you pay them, uh, your contests of various kinds, your formal contests, your informal praise, your um, opportunity for what's called job enrichment. As you know, that means... Uh, uh, the opportunity to have additional jobs, additional responsibilities. It also means uh, uh, honoring someone by showing enough confidence in her or him by letting them work on a high on a high profile project within your company, etc. You can also do it more informally by soliciting the advice of employees. That shows you value them. And finally. Another way to do it is just in your management style as the owner, entrepreneur, or senior executive. And I'm someone who is very task-oriented, but for 30 years in business, I remind myself, A, I also enjoy uh, interacting with people, 
and B, it's important to um, continue to build rapport with my colleagues and ask how their weekend was, ask what they did, ask how their child who's graduated from college is doing, ask how their kid who's in a big little league game did, and show a human interaction with them. Ask questions about their their lives, not not in an intrusive way, but in a way that shows you care, and listen to what they say. Um, you, as the senior person, as the senior manager, as the executive entrepreneur, small business owner, you need to show them that you think of them as people, just as you want them to show customers that they think of customers as people, not just an opportunity for ka-ching in your corporate cash register. One of the thoughts that comes to mind as we're having this discussion is that different personality types are likely to respond differently to these methods, these recognition methods that we're talking about. And so, for example, someone who is extroverted and gets their self-worth rewards from other people's recognition may respond differently than someone who is introverted and finds their self-worth from within. What insights could you share with us on that? Well, that's a terrific point. It's a whole study of uh, psychology, and clearly uh, some people, when they're with others, are energized. Other people, when they're with people, are drained. So it's certainly true. Uh, I will say that most people uh, appreciate praise even if initially they seem to be a little shy about it. And some people will say, you know, shucks, it wasn't much. Um, but secretly, they really appreciate it. I think most people appreciate it. So the difference is whether you praise them in public or praise them in private. Uh, in either case, you can't go wrong by um, sending them a note, sending them a certificate, or some symbol of success by inviting them out to lunch or dinner or breakfast, by asking their advice, etc. And even for introverts, um, sometimes they're a little shy about volunteering and so on, but if you as the manager ask them if they'd like to uh, lead this team or do this special project, uh, certainly give them the opportunity to say yes or no but at least it shows that you're thinking about them and you greatly value them. If you're dealing with an introvert, perhaps you'd focus more on asking her or his advice. If you're dealing with an extrovert, you might say, um, would you like to lead the uh, you know, business book discussion club or do the, uh, the Red Cross drive or United Way, be the United Way coordinator, etc." But you're absolutely right. As a manager, one of your jobs is to understand how to communicate with each of the people uh, within your company, within your team. And maybe a way to think about it is as follows. Think of it almost like you have a radio and different employees tune in to a different frequency. And as a skilled manager, you're sensitive to what they listen to, and you use that channel uh, to get through to them. And, you know, some ch for some you need to say it louder and longer. For others you need to say it more quietly. Um, but I think a great manager 
understands the uh, specific uh, preferences and characteristics of each of uh, her employees and uses the appropriate channel um, to get through to them. Do these strategies translate in the same way from a for-profit, say, to a not-for-profit, to a government entity? The short answer is yes. Um, In a not-for-profit or a government entity, uh, usually there are stricter, um, call it rules and you know, what I call rituals, how a company will celebrate success. Um, but the, so the amounts that a not-for-profit or a government entity has to spend, uh, for example, on a recognition trip are usually um, uh, significantly less than a Fortune 500 company. Um, but having said that, the methodologies are pretty much the same. Uh, And what motivates people are usually pretty much the same. Uh, So, you know, a company like a a Fortune 100 company, a GE or an ExxonMobil or an IBM, um, they can afford um, to celebrate success in a much more, um, call it grandiose style. They can, you know, fly the team to an island in the Caribbean and uh, spend five days there and have gala dinners and so on for the top performers. Um, The American Red Cross uh, is not in a position to do that, and when they fly people to the Caribbean, it's to render aid. But having said that, they certainly can um, recognize the people. They can reward the people symbolically. They can reward them with praise. They can reward them with a letter. They can reward them with job enrichment and special projects. Um, they can even reward them with uh, more modest things like uh, you know merchandise and, and uh, uh, possibly depending upon budget and so on, possibly even with a you know a mini trip somewhere. So you know it's in the domestic United States and it has a, a fewer people attending and the like. But uh, certainly uh, all organizations can use a, a multiplicity of methods to. Uh, show people they care, to motivate them, to have them be more productive, and as well to attract them. One of the challenges many times when you establish programs of any kind, and I have to imagine that with a compensation plan there are some of those same challenges, is conveying that information to your audience how do you make sure that your employees understand clearly how they will be compensated or how they might be compensated if you're looking at, you talked about contests, you talked about symbolic rewards, and a, a number of other possibilities. How do you ensure that this message reaches them? Are, are there ways to do that? Absolutely. And again, it's a great question. And the proof that it's a great question is that in lots of cases, these things wind up in court contests. And that's terrible. That has exactly the opposite effect you want. So clearly, uh, uh, y- your question resonates. Uh, it's very important um, as your ultimate communications tool, as your ultimate 
motivation tool that, as you say, the compensation plan is crystal clear. It's almost as important that the sales contests or the other company contests are clear as well. Here are some ways that we advise our clients to do it. Firstly, um, starting at the end, employees should sign the document saying, here are the rules and here's the terminology. Uh, It need not be a lengthy thing. It need not be a legal document. But here are the way we will measure success. Here are the goals. Here's the time period. Here are the eligibility requirements. Here are the requirements to qualify, etc. And the more that's at stake, the more important it is to actually be sure that uh, you cross the T's and uh, dot the I's. The other thing to do is to have a meeting, either small groups or company-wide or department-wide, and explain it very clearly and give examples, what I call pro formas, whereby if an individual does this, here's how she will be rewarded. If another individual does this plus, here's how she will be rewarded, etc., and some some companies will even compare the new compensation plan to the prior years uh, with similar scenarios. That's very important. An additional thing to do besides explaining it, and that's clearly the most important thing, and not just explaining it, but be sure all employees understand it, is to market it, to um, motivate employees uh, that it's a good document, it's a good plan, which hopefully it is. So you're, in a sense, um, marketing or selling your document to employees because you want to excite them. So you have two goals in introducing it. One is to, and the most important is, as you say, to be sure they are crystal clear on what will happen under various scenarios, various results. And as a uh, parenthetical uh, comment, you really should pay for results, not just for activities. Uh, uh, certainly in your formal compensation plan, you can pay for activities in a, an informal uh, contest. But having said that, the other piece besides being sure they're crystal clear is to motivate them and show them that it's really a good plan and a good document. It's very fair, and they hopefully, and they have the opportunity to earn incremental rewards. Um, and hopefully, again, um, your plan is set up in a way where that's the case. Otherwise, you uh, run the risk of doing more damage. Gets back to your uh, question uh, uh, much earlier. Uh, it can be very, very powerful. You know, uh, it's like dynamite. It can have some terrific uses, but uh, sadly, people can you know blow themselves up if uh, they're not careful with it. So, fortunately, that doesn't usually happen. Um, a lot of this is common sense. If there are questions, there are uh, uh, lots of firms, uh, not just ours, but lots of firms that will advise companies on how to do this and uh, um, ensure they they do it in a way which is fair and reasonable and achieves the desired result. Should you care what the competition is doing? The employee cares. The uh, potential employee cares. Um, the um, employee now with you cares, she or he may be reluctant to leave the company uh, because uh, there's higher risk, higher uncertainty, more so than, you know, 
before 2008 when the recession formally hit. But the answer to your question, Elena, I believe is absolutely yes, because they're they're attracting your best employees, or even if they're not. Um, you don't have their full attention. You don't. They're not hitting on all eight cylinders, so to speak. So you need to care. Um, you need to care um, what your competitors are doing. You also need to care what other companies that might be within your geographic area uh, that might, uh, lack of a better word, steal your employees are doing. It's not the final determination because your P&L is going to be different from theirs, but you certainly need to be aware of it. And uh, there are lots of companies, for example, that do compensation studies, and uh, um, we spend a fair bit of our time doing that because companies want to know that. The owners and senior executives and entrepreneurs want to know that because the employees already know it. They're talking to their friends and so on. And uh, uh, again, they may physically be there, but you don't have their full mind share and you need to. How does the concept of overseas employees come into the equation, meaning individuals who are physically located somewhere else but coming in to do work for you via the Internet, phones, and other technology tools. What kind of an impact will this have or is this having, because this is here today, on the way that you should handle these compensation tactics? It's an important issue. It's one that's still evolving. Uh, you know, from a global perspective, it's it's uh, certainly here to stay. And you know, some would argue from a global perspective, it's positive that uh, um, the company that can uh, provide the greatest amount of skilled labor at the uh, uh, most effective cost, uh, that individual in those countries should get the uh, the work. From the point of putting on my hat as an American citizen, um, I'm not thrilled about it. Uh, I don't know what we can do to stem it. Uh, I do think that in lots of increasing number of cases that um, work, that even professional work, for example, work of lawyers and accountants and others that was previously done onshore is now being done offshore. And part of the reason for that, as you know, is that the cost of labor is significantly less. Uh, I think, you know, the long-term solution is we need to uh, continually have an educated, well-prepared workforce so that uh, we're cutting edge in our ideas and our skills and so on and uh, 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 make it such where more companies, unfortunately so many still do, want their labor pool to be here because there's something to be said for conversations at the water cooler. There's something to be said for being working in close proximity to employees. And um, a lot is lost when uh, work is outsourced because the the um, sharing of ideas, the sharing of information, the sharing of camaraderie, the building of relationships, which is part of the work environment, um, is just not there to the same extent. So that speaks, I think, in favor of onshoring, of keeping um, positions here. And the good news for the United States is that many jobs that previously were uh, offshored, notwithstanding what I've said uh, before are now coming back to the United States because of the issue of creating the uh, the re- the interpersonal relationships and the sharing of information and ideas and so on. 
I understand also that many of the customers, the end customers, were unhappy. I don't remember who it was recently, but I heard of one of the very large companies that said that they were not going to offshore their call centers anymore. They were going to have the call centers in the U.S. because their customers didn't like it. I know of people who will actually call for assistance, call to make a purchase, and if they get somebody that they feel is offshore, they will hang up. Well, that's absolutely true, um, both the fact that many companies have brought back their call centers and other positions to the United States, and secondly, that the reason for it is that many customers had difficulty uh, fully understanding the uh, uh, what it was the uh, the individuals offshore, even if they speak textbook English, which is usually not the case, even if they do, they don't know the idiomatic expressions and so on. And then additionally, the customers didn't have the full confidence that they could solve the problem. And then the fourth reason is the reason of, um, uh, you know, call it nationalism. Uh, it's the same reason why a lot of American citizens will only buy a car made in the United States. There are reasons for and against, but a large number of people feel that way. And uh, this is a response to that, um, that belief, that emotion, if you will. Even if you are onshoring, even if you are in the United States, you are looking at an increasingly diverse workforce as the growth in the country comes from what are called emerging markets. How do you deal with those issues when it comes to compensation and recognition? Because, of course, Ron, people from different cultures have different attitudes toward being recognized in public or wanting pay versus a pad. What kinds of issues would you say that you're dealing with as an employer when it comes to workplace diversity? Well, um, for sure, that's an important issue, and it, it uh, over time, short term, is going to become more important. Uh, one one model for this is that even within the United States, uh, the local cost of living in a small town is going to be very different from the cost of living in uh, uh, New York or Chicago or San Francisco. The cost of living in uh, 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 you know, in a small town in the Midwest or South or upstate New York is going to be much less than in a metropolitan area. And in my opinion, the most enlightened companies make some adjustment based on where the employee is living um, if the employee is not working at the corporate headquarters. And that certainly should continue um, and mostly does for people who are um, offshore. So I think that's certainly the case. Um, having said that, as much as possible, uh, the company should, consistent with the local market and fair practices and motivating people, uh, they should pay them as much as they reasonably can um, because that's still a hugely important motivating factor for employees uh, based on, the, you know, one of the factors, again, is the locale where they live, where they live. The second factor 
uh, is um, what that job position uh, pays, you know, across a, a number of different locations and so on. And, of course, the third is level of experience and so on. So that's, you know, those are factors in compensation. And finally, what your competitors pay. In terms of cultural sensitivity, uh, I think this is a really important issue. And I think it's incumbent upon the company to understand the culture, the local culture where its employee is based this it gets back to what you said earlier about you know introverts versus extroverts but it's even more challenging because in some companies you know making a public display display of how well the employee has done might be considered bad form and i think it's incumbent upon companies to have you know a, a senior manager who's responsible for understanding issues of diversity and issues of cultural sensitivity and that person needs to be at the planning table when a company uh, develops its overall recognition reward system another way to do that is to involve employees uh you know at on uh, an occasional basis on different locations so that you make sure you take care of cultural uh sensitivities you could reward someone, let's just pick a country, say in Asia or the Middle East or the Caribbean or wherever or Africa, by A, um, asking if that individual would like to be on a task force. We're thinking about creating a recognition reward system. Would you like to be on the task force? We have a conference call. You know, I'm making this up, obviously, uh, you know, second Monday for the next uh, uh five uh, uh, times, and we want to get your perspective how you think this contest that we're considering would be received in um, your locale, because uh, um, they have firsthand knowledge, the employees. So I would, they're not the decision makers, but I very much would include uh, various employees in different locations. Again, it's a, also a form of reward to solicit their input, how you feel your coworkers would like to have X versus Y as a reward. And they'll feel good about their contribution. They'll feel recognized. And in the process, it'll go a long way to uh, helping take account of the issue that you so appropriately identified, Elena, of um, trying to use your compensation and recognition rewards as a powerful tool to help, not inadvertently to do damage. Are there particular tactics that are relevant, say, for your top performers, for your top executives, that differ in some way from the strategies that you might use for the rest? Yes, um, in general, in general, your senior people should receive as more of their compensation on a long-term basis because presumably they're thinking three and five years out as to you know what's the longer-term vision and mission and goals of the company, whereas middle managers and those um, who report to them are thinking more in terms of the annual. So a larger percentage of compensation for senior executives should be in the form of uh, longer-term achievement. And unfortunately, not enough companies are doing this, and they're making a mistake in my judgment. That's one difference. The other difference is that uh, the senior executives should be paid more for um, 
profitability, whereas the middle managers and those uh, who report to them should be paid more for either revenue or annual production or annual results rather than the overall um, uh, impact. Uh, senior executives should be paid as they're part of the management team on the overall achievement of the company, not just their department, because they certainly should be encouraged to look more broadly beyond their department. And so part of their compensation, a larger part, should be paid based on how the overall company has done, not just their department or their division. Having said that, I think there's also an opportunity for more employees, even at the non-senior level, to think more broadly about the company, not just themselves. And I think a way to uh, enhance corporate citizenship and a way to enhance broader thinking on the part of non-senior executives is to reward them a small portion of their compensation based on the overall results of the company. That builds buy-in, that builds goodwill, that builds um, long-term feeling, you know, this is really my family, not just my immediate family, so to speak, but my extended family. Are you referring to stock options and programs like that? Absolutely. It could be, there's a whole variety of uh, systems, uh, some uh, simple, some uh, more complex um, with stock options and phantom stock and, and the like. Uh, but I encourage companies to think about providing a small piece of that, certainly not to the same level, to more junior level employees. That's another good way to get buy-in to have them think longer term. They'll feel excited by it in many instances. And once again, most companies don't do this, and they should. How are employees responding to programs that require time in order for them to vest. And one of those examples, of course, is stock options that vest three years after they are, quote-unquote, awarded. So you are eligible for X stock option, X number of stock options, but you can only get them in three years if you're still an employee. In this climate of shrinkage with so many people that have been let go, how are those who are still in the companies reacting to those kinds of, you'll get the reward later? Well, I think I think in general, Elena, um, having uh, stock options and other programs where it's vesting over time, I think in general, that's a fair and appropriate way to build long-term commitment. However, if you have a unique situation where someone is laid off, uh, notwithstanding the fact that he's done a, a really good job consistently, then maybe that needs to be looked at because um, if that was clearly outside the uh, um, responsibility of the employee. Let's suppose, for example, the company was purchased by another company um, and certain individuals are let go because it's just the duplication of function. Uh, and assuming that individual has done a good job, I think a strong case can be made there where the um, what's called three years arbitrarily, the three-year time frame um, might be um, overlooked on this exceptional basis. But in general, I have no problem with uh, over you know investing over time or vesting, I should say, over time because 
you want individuals, not just senior managers, but others to look long-term. What's in the long-term best interest of the company? Too many companies um, have not taken that view and need to. What would you say in terms of gender and compensation tactics? We know, of course, there's a lot of controversy about how one gender earns more per dollar than the other gender. What are your thoughts specifically as in relation to these compensation tactics to retain employee issues? Well, having a wife, a, a daughter, um, uh, sisters, um, and other uh, females that are near and dear to me, in the workplace, it angers me that they get um, lower compensation in some cases than their male counterparts. The good news is it's changing. The good news is as a country and an econ- as an economy, we've recognized it. Um, the good news is that companies are becoming more and more aware of it. Um, the glass ceiling uh, is still there, but it's cracking. I mean, as you know, you have uh, people like the uh, president of IBM now who's a female. You have people such as the president of Xerox who's a female and a minority um, executive. You have uh, people like the president of Amex who's a minority executive. Um, There are more women um, who who are rising in corporate America, um, but sadly, not as fast as they should. And sadly, um, there still seems to be, in some cases, a uh, discrepancy in compensation. And, you know, we understand the reasons for this historically, um, and it would be great if they changed faster. The good news is it's changing. How do you know if you're on the right track? So we've discussed all of these different strategies and groups and reactions and the bottom line is you've put a lot of effort into this or maybe you're starting but you want to know at the end of the line, am I doing the right thing? Is this what it takes? How do you measure your results? How do you know if you're doing the right things? It's a great question and there's a simple answer. A is if you were to arbitrarily pick three or five employees of that company and have and walk with them from the lobby of your building to the office of the president. And during that walk or during that elevator ride, let's say, each of the three individually could explain the compensation and recognition plan clearly and accurately. That's the first sign of a good plan. So that's step number one. Step number two is um, more people are pleased with it than displeased, and you can ask them. Step number three, or criteria number three, I guess I should say, is the results improve over time from the previous plan and the previous year. So those are three indications. There are others, but but A, do they understand it? B, do most people like it? And C, and most importantly, do results improve, meaning does the company hit its goals in terms of revenue and profitability, and do the individuals hit their goals, more of them than previously? What suggestions would you share for our listeners, Ron, who are at any stage of the process, either starting out or midway or coming out at the end of a process and 
trying to get their bearings. What would you say that they can take away to their company, to their project, that they can apply? What three tips would you share with them? Well, I think I would um, look at, as it relates to compensation and recognition reward, I think I would look at, are there issues such as turnover is higher than it should be, or we're um, uh, failing to attract employees when we give them job offers? Are there issues like that, or um, uh, productivity seems to be much lower? And then look at, is the reason for that, call it a problem, and it is, is the reason for that problem related to motivation? And if it's related to motivation, then I think the issue is to um, do at least an informal survey of employees. And by that, I mean you don't have to give them a written uh, instrument, but talk to them in small groups. You need to be careful because you don't want to create um, dissension, but just informally go out to lunch with two or three and say, look, we're thinking about um, A, what do you think, and try to have a heart-to-heart conversation with them to find out what the what's the problem you're trying to solve or the opportunity you're trying to take advantage of. Example, in the sales arena, let's suppose revenue has not increased as much or at all from the previous year. Is it because activity, number of sales calls is down? And if so, that's probably a motivation issue. And then it requires looking at what to do to stimulate or motivate people to make more and better calls, just as one example. Um, But there could be other factors as well. Is it because our product is not as good? So it really, in the first instance, requires um, doing a bit of detective work to identify what are the problems that the company has or opportunities it's not taking advantage of. For example, in a sales arena, it might be, gee, we haven't attracted many new customers, or it might be we're losing existing customers. Then the compensation plan as one tool in this could be used to pay people more for either bringing in new business or pay people more for keeping selling additional products to existing customers, just as an example. So that's, uh, you know, define the problem is really critical and understand whether it's a compensation or recognition reward issue. Often, very often, that's a critical part of it. But sometimes it's a training issue or skills issue. Sometimes it's a communication issue. Believe it or not, people just didn't know they were supposed to do it. So uh, before doing anything, I think it's really important to uh, do a dive within your own company or bring in a firm to help you do it um, to figure out what problem exists and why and uh, or what opportunity exists that's not fully being uh, maximized and why and then what can be done about it either in terms of compensation compensation and recognition reward or in terms of other issues such as uh, training communications etc and it's even possible um, that in some instances the you uh, a company might have the wrong employees for a particular a set of positions, and, and then it's not a compensation issue. So I think that's step one, take the view from 30,000 feet um, before getting to ground level. Ground level is how to structure the plan, what our competitors are paying, how to use a mix of both financial incentives as well as non-financial incentives, and how to create an overall 
um, corporate environment where people look forward to coming in, where they look forward to being with their colleagues, where they look forward to their boss, where they're to being with their boss, where they're treated with um, respect and uh, and valued. Thank you, Ron, for joining us from White Plains, New York. My pleasure, Elena. Look forward to it. And to our audience, thank you for listening to Ron Volper, Ph.D., who is author of Up Your Sales in a Down Market, about compensation tactics to help retain employees. Please share your suggestions, questions, and ideas by leaving a comment on the HispanicNPR.com website. If you or someone you know would like to be on the show, you can email me directly at editor at HispanicNPR.com. That's editor at HispanicMPR.com.